All right. Well, who's excited for the last weekend of Game Changer? Four of you. Fantastic. All right. I'll come back next week when we've got more sleep. It'll be all right. Um, I hope you guys are having a good morning, though. This is Extra Shot Sunday. Come on, somebody. And uh, I asked them to lay it on for me strong. I've had enough coffee to give me a um, heart attack this morning, so I'm doing all right. I hope you're doing good. Um, but I, I want to I share a message with you this morning that I think will, will really help all of us. Um, we've hit some powerful topics uh, over our series, Game Changer. And I want to land on one that has really been stirring in my heart. I think it's a message not only for this campus, but, but for um, our church as a whole. And I think it's so important because what you believe about God is the most important thing that you believe. How many would say amen? amen? I mean, you can believe what you want about me, and it might impact your life a little. You, you can believe what you want about your neighbor, and it might impact your life a little. But what you believe about God shapes more in our life than we oftentimes think. And so I want to share with you a message, and if I had to give it a title this morning, I, I, would, call it, I would call it God's heart. God's heart. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, I want to look at the life of uh, one of my favorite people in the Bible. Obviously, outside of Jesus, King David, and probably Joshua are my two favorite people in the Bible. But I want to look at the life of David this morning. And I want to talk about God's heart, because I think there are some realities regarding God's heart that are found in the life of David um, that, are so very, that are so very important. And so we're going to look through um, the life of David, and I want, to re- I want to reveal to you just a couple things this morning, and I want you to, I want you to open up your hearts. I know it's early, and, uh, and I know you're the, you're the faithful. Come on, somebody. You're the first service, and uh, we can show up sometimes, first service, and man, you know, I'm faithful. I'm doing this for Jesus, or some of you are unfazed because you were up since 5 a.m. anyway. I get that, um, but can we just make sure that this isn't just another day? Can we just make sure that this just isn't another talk uh, from some guy that can't grow a beard? But this is a word from God. And I think the difference oftentimes, it's, it's how we prepare our hearts. So can we just take just a moment, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, can we just take just a moment, and I want to pray even before I read the Bible. Come on, somebody. Uh, If there was ever a day to do that, it's on Daylight Saving Sunday. So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord, speak to our hearts today. Give me a word that would help me to live for you in a greater dimension. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Lord, thank you that that, uh, you're so good, and you want to speak to us every time we're intentional to lean in. Would you do something in our hearts this morning? Would you open our hearts and open our lives to what you would speak and what you would say? Do something amazing in me. Shape me with the word of God. Reveal your heart to me this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Simply means let it be. Let it be. I I love David. I think David is by far um, one of the most famous kings in all of history. Uh, certainly, he's the most famous king in the Bible. Nobody, uh, God, God used nobody to do more um, in the Old Testament than King David. Um, he actually, we, we oftentimes credit Solomon um, with all the credit because he built the temple and he did. But you know, David actually took more ground than Solomon. 
David accomplished a lot in, in the Bible, and, and uh, God used his life to do really great things. David's life was not only amazing, but it was incredibly crazy. Uh, David's life was sort of like a best-selling biography and a Maury episode all rolled into one. Come on, somebody. Um, it, it's pretty honest. And to, to be honest, I think that's actually the power of King David's life. Because how many know King David wasn't perfect? He was human. Just like me and just like you, he wasn't perfect, but he loved God and God used him in a powerful way. And I think there's a lot that we can glean from David's life regarding the heart of God. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to read verse 1. And then we don't have time to read the entire life story of David. So we're going to skip down to verse 6 and we're going to read uh, seven verses. So let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's read verse 1. The Bible says this, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul, for I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected. Everybody say selected. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Everybody say my king. My king. Now Samuel was the prophet of Israel. Very prestigious role, by the way. Very famous role. Saul was king during that time. God would speak to a prophet as to who was supposed to be king. And so this is what's happening here. God speaks to the prophet Samuel and he said, hey listen, I know I've told you that I'm going to make a change. I know I told you something's coming. I want you to fill your horn with oil and I want you to go find this dude named Jesse. I've selected one of his sons to be my king. Now let's skip down to verse 6 together and the Bible says, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, Eliab the oldest son of Jesse, and he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Eliab was tall, dark, and handsome, kind of like me. Come on, somebody. He was tall, dark, and handsome. But how many know that God looks at people different than we do? He looks deeper than the outside. He looks down into the hearts of people. And the Bible says, but the Lord said to Samuel, he said, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, he's not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. How'd you like to be named Shemaiah? But Samuel said, no, this ain't the one either. In the same way, all seven, I want you to catch this, all seven, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. We'll send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, kind of like Pastor Dan. Come on, somebody. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers, and Samuel took the flask of olive oil that he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil. How many know that if you will serve God faithfully and be more worried about God's plan, God's purpose, and God's heart, and less worried about the acceptance of others, there will be a day when God will bless you in front of all the people that didn't believe in you. I love, that, I love that he didn't pull him aside. It says, in front of his brothers, in front 
of his father, Samuel anointed David as king over Israel. And listen, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now turn with me if you would. Make a hard right in your Bible. I want to read one passage out of the New Testament. One passage out of the New Testament. We'll do a little Old Testament, New Testament sandwich. You good? Verse 22 in Acts chapter 13. This will be on the screens as well. The Bible says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Listen to this. I have found. Everybody say, I have found. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want to do. I want to give you just a couple thoughts this morning. Well, three to be exact. I want to give you a, 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 a few thoughts that I believe will help you as, as you process God's heart toward you. Again, I think the most important thing you believe is what you believe about God. And so I want you to write just a couple things down. And I'm praying that God would even do some surgery in our hearts as we get ready to bring this series Game Changer to a close. I believe the greatest game changer that could happen in some of our lives this morning is that we would have a perspective shift. We would have a revelation, an understanding from heaven that would grip our hearts, that would transform the way that we believe God sees us. Because what you believe about God is one of the most important things that you believe. And I want you to write this down. Thought number one, God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. You know, we hear nothing about David. We hear nothing about Jesse until this text. This is where David is introduced to us. This is where his father Jesse is introducing to us. And David does not come on the scene as a warrior. He does not come on the scene as a king. He comes on the scene as a shepherd. He's not famous. He's not known. Let me go a little bit deeper. He's not even liked, let alone loved. David is the black sheep of his family. And he also happens to be the shepherd. Come on, somebody. Now, it's interesting because... One of two things is either in play here, because the shepherd role was not a glamorous position. I know you see the old paintings, and they're wrapped in linen and have their cute canes, and they're snuggling with this washed, beautiful sheep, but being a shepherd is nasty. I mean, sheep are nasty and dumb. Come on, somebody. They're not smart. They're not clean. They're not fun to be with. Other animals like to eat them because they're not smart. Come on. And so you'd live out in the hills with these animals that are kind of dirty and kind of dumb, and it was not glamorous. So families would hire people to shepherd their sheep, or if they were poor, they would have their least favorite servant or son take care of that job. Come on. It was, it was a unclean, uncommon, lowly position. And so either Jesse was too poor to hire somebody, which I don't know that that's true, um, but either way, we know he was the least favorite because he got, he, he got the job of shepherding the sheep. Come on. So either they had the money and didn't like David, <laughs> or they didn't have the money and didn't like David. <laughs> either way, they didn't like David. Come on. Because David was out doing the, the dirty work. By all accounts, he was treated as the least of his brothers. Sent into the hills of Bethlehem to watch his father's sheep. He was a man that was treated as somebody that was best kept out of sight and out of mind. I just want that to sink in. 
He was treated like somebody that was best kept out of sight and out of mind. He was a boy with a shepherd's staff that was kept in the background of his father's reality. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like nobody wants you? Have you ever felt like nobody sees you? Have you ever felt like nobody cares if you stopped showing up for work, if you stopped waking up in the morning, if you stopped getting up and doing what you do? Have you ever felt like nobody would even notice, nobody would even care? You're present, but unwanted. You're available, but unchosen. You're visible, but unseen. I'm so thankful for the way that God brings David into the history books. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, the Bible tells us, as he's speaking to the prophet Samuel, it says that God himself selected David from the sons of Jesse. Acts 13.22 in the New Testament tells us that God found David among the family of Jesse. Can we just stop there for a moment? Because I think there's some people here that you feel like you might be invisible to people. That nobody knows you, nobody cares about you, nobody sees you. If you stop getting up in the morning, if you stop going to school, if you stop going to work, nobody would even care that you're gone. I came here with a message from heaven and it's this, it doesn't matter if people sees you, God sees you. God sees you. He knows where you're at. He sees you. He loves you. He has not missed you. You might be invisible to some people, but you are not invisible to God. He sees you and he loves you and he knows right where you're at. God not only sees you, but he sees what you're capable of. He sees the potential inside of you. David's family didn't see the potential. They'd ruled David out. You're the worst. You're the least. You're the unwanted. You just go shepherd sheep. We'll do the real stuff, the big boy jobs here. David, you go be out here. Do you know God not only sees you, he sees your potential. David not only was seen by God, God saw his potential as well. Before David did anything notable, God anointed him to do something special. Pastor Dan and I were traveling in Texas, and I, I will make sure that I know Pastor Dan was driving, and uh, I say that because we got lost a little bit. He's a better driver than me in those big cities anyway. He, that, was, that was strategic. Pastor Dan, oh, he's, a good, he's a good driver, but we did get lost. We got off on the wrong exit, and it was actually because the church that was hosting us was called Oaks, the Oaks Church in Red Oaks, Texas, outside of Dallas. And there was two churches. One of them was called like the Oaks Chapel or something. And so we went to the wrong church. We got off on the wrong exit and, and we pulled up to this church and we were like, this does not look like where we're supposed to be. This is, it was like some tiny little rundown building in the ghetto. Come on. I'm like, ah, this doesn't look like where 1,500 pastors are going to gather right now um, unless we're about to really party. Come on, somebody. Um, but on the way there, we pulled up on the strangest thing. So it was actually a happy detour. It was the weirdest sight that I'd ever seen. It was a dirty, run-down gas station that was selling shoes. Oh, yeah, I have a picture to prove it. Check this out. It was the outlet sport shoes, and they had this big sale. And now, I, I like my shoes. Come on, somebody. Anybody in the house like shoes? 
All right, just making sure. So we saw a sale, I'm like, $29.99, these got to be like fake imported shoes from Mexico, and I'm all about a deal. <laughs> Give me them China imports. Come on, somebody. Uh, as long as they feel like the real deal, I, I, no pride there. And, uh, and so we pulled in on like $29.99, and, and, and we found out it was just like kind of the select shoes on the outside, um, and we were kind of nervous. I thought, wow, I mean, I mean, I could either buy shoes here, you might be able to buy drugs here. I don't know. Like, it just kind of looked like a one-stop shop. You know what I mean? And then, uh, and then so I was like, well, this is cool. You know, hey, went, went, in, went in Texas, um, you know, check out the, 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 the shop. So then we walked in to outlet sports shoes. And I realized there was more than meets the eye. And so we were like, this is not, this is shoe palace. Come on, somebody. And, uh, and so I'm like, I, I got to get a couple pictures of this. I, I got to get, I got to get a couple pictures. So we were looking around and they had everything. They had cream of the crop. They, I mean, they had it all. And it was legit inside. Backlit, LED, white wall. I mean, you could try them on. You, you could, I mean, they had everything. And I thought, you know what? Uh, the way my mind works as a preacher is everything becomes a sermon in my mind. And I thought, you know what? This is the problem with a lot of Christians today. All we're able to see is the shoe store in a dirty old gas station on the outside of people's lives. But see, our God sees deeper than that. He sees the shoe palace on the inside of every single one of us. So you got to be careful that you don't judge people by the outward appearance. Our God is very good at finding gold on the inside of people that this world has ruled out and God has planned to rule them in. That's the God we serve. He is very good at finding people nobody is looking for. If that's your story this morning, can we just give God a shout in this place? That you're grateful that God found you when no one else was looking for you, God found you? That's my story. In 2005, God found me a rundown, strung out, drug dealer sitting in a jail cell in Ada County Jail. God found me when nobody was looking for me but the DEA. Come on, somebody. Nobody cared what happened to Jordan, but God cared. God saw me, and God saw more than the broken down gas station on the outside. God saw the shoe palace on the inside. And I know that's some of your stories, too. And if you're here today and you're not sure that God actually sees anything in you, I just want you to know God doesn't make junk. God sees past whatever's broken on your outside. God sees past whatever's run down on the outside of you. God sees the gold on the inside of you because he put it there. If you believe it, give him one more shout. That's who he is. He not only sees you, but I want you to write this down. God knows you. God knows you. For some of you, that's terrifying. And if that's true, then you need this point more than others. Because you believe God's looking at you with a stink eye. And you're terrified, you're terrified that God actually knows you. I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss the fact that, that David was selected from the family of Jesse. By name, the Lord actually said, he referred to David as the son of Jesse. Now, you got to understand historical context at this time. The patriarchy was very strong. This is how they kept track of everything. Um, 
this would have been proper for David to be identified as the son of. The son of. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah actually prophesies about Jesus, and he says that Jesus will come from the root of Jesse, which is a sermon for another day when you realize that David would actually set in motion the lineage that Jesus would be born into in the earth. Jesus is a direct descendant, was a direct descendant of King David. So you have to understand that the prophet Isaiah says he'll come from the root of Jesse, not the root of David, but the root of Jesse. And we give David all the credit, but the scripture gives the proper place to Jesse. But Jesse wasn't really a great dad that I could see. I mean, I don't want to smear a guy who's not here to defend himself. Come on, somebody. But I mean, he was a little hard on David. I don't know, maybe David was kind of the airhead creative. He was a musician and a warrior and a, he was a lover and a fighter and he was all those things. Maybe he was just the difficult child. Come on, somebody. Anybody got a difficult child? How many know your difficult child will probably be the one that changes the world? I'm just saying. Um, but his father had rejected him completely. David was not even counted among the sons of Jesse. It's powerful to me that the scriptures say all seven of the sons were brought before Saul and none of them were selected. Well, what about David? Is he not one of them? They had to dig a little for him to even be brought to the surface. He was like the dirty little secret. And when the prophet came and asked, he didn't even bother calling him to the family meeting. He was like, well, certainly it's not going to be David. We'll just leave him out. Um... But I want you to know that more than anything, David wasn't like his brothers, not just in personality and not just in favor from his family, but David actually looked different than his other brothers. His other brothers, were they looked like Greek gods. Come on, someone, six-pack, tall, dark, and handsome. Um, they were all kind of the same. They were, they were tall, and the Bible gives us certain characteristics and it says that David was ruddy and good-looking. Scholars differentiate on what that means. Some actually believe that David may have been a redhead or had an anomaly of some kind. But the Bible points out his eyes over his other features. It says he was a good-looking guy. Come on. Like Mike Van Damme. He was good-looking, you know. Had, the Bible says he had good, he had good eyes. Um, but when you start saying things like, well, I mean, he's got good eyes. I mean, you're reaching. Come on, somebody. And so I, I'm, just, I'm just throwing this out there because it's important for us to realize that not only was there a difference in the family dynamic, there was a difference in the way David even looked. This is important because there are actually some scholars that believe David was a half-brother of the sons of Jesse. Matter of fact, David even says in Psalm 51 verse 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, I can't prove it, but a part of me wonders if there was even more to the reason why David was rejected and not counted among his other brothers. Maybe, maybe mama had a thing on the side. Maybe daddy had a thing on the side. Either way, you kind of as a child bear the brunt of that. How many, know, how many have ever had something held against you that was outside of your control? David lived in the midst of this. David's life was messy. His background was messy. Matter of fact, the beginnings of David's life, his conception, may even have been a little questionable. This is important for us to understand because we glorify the characters of Scripture sometimes. But David's family had issues. If we were honest today, how many would, 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 would not raise a hand but might do kind of the, 
if I would say, how many of your family, you got a little, you, you got some tangled branches in that family tree. Sometimes people want to dig into my family, and I'm like, it's best spoken with the heading, it's complicated. Okay, it's, it's, it's complicated. There are some branches we're proud of, and there's a few we don't talk about. Come on, somebody. Um, but it's, it's complicated. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I, it encourages me that the branches of David's family tree were a little bit crazy. Um, can we just pause for a moment, and, and, and can we thank God that in spite of the craziness of the family that David was born into, that God chose him, that God knew about David, none of that was hidden from God, none of David's secrets were hidden from God, none of David's background was hidden from God, none of David's past, present, or even future was hidden from God, and yet God still chose David, and God knows everything about you, he knows about your past, he knows about your family. He knows about what your great-great-grandpa did, what your grandpa did, what your daddy did. And in spite of all of that stuff, he called you anyway, knowing that you would do the things you'd done and you would be as crazy as you were. He knew about those teenage years. He knew about the college rebellion. He knew about that part. He knew about that mistake. He knew about that thing. He knew about that thing, that compromise in your character. And he called you anyway. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that the only tree that matters for my destiny, it's the Calvary tree that God loves me and died for me, gave his life for me. And no matter how messed up my family tree is, when God planned my future, he considered the Calvary tree over my family tree. If you're grateful, give God a shout. That's our God. That's who he is. He knows you. He knows your deficiencies and your strengths. He knows the good stuff and the bad stuff. He knows the glory days and the not-so-glorious days. And God called you anyway. His grace covers. His love empowers. He has a vision for your life, and it is not it is not inhibited by what's happened in your family, what's happened in your past, or even the weaknesses in your life. How many know if you'll surrender the weak areas of your life, you'll find the strength of God, and you'll find that He's more than enough, and that He calls you anyway, and loves you completely. God sees you, and God knows you. My final thought, and I'll get you out of here, is this. God not only sees you, not only knows you, but God is for you. It's important for you to understand that. Is that God is for you. It's one thing to know that God sees you, but it's another thing to know that God is for you. Matter of fact, I didn't give my life to Jesus till I was 18 years old. But my parents raised me in church. I was one of the naughty church kids. Come on, somebody. I'm the church kid that they would, my parent, I'd come to church with my parents and I'd like sneak out the back door and play outside and then come back in and, you know what I mean? I, that was literally me. That was me at Bethel Nazarene in Nampa. Come on, somebody. Back then they didn't have that beautiful lot. It was just a dirt pile. I'd just come out trashed after church. What did you do? Illustrated Bible teaching. That's learned about Jesus. Um. <laughs> Uh, but it's funny because you got to understand that God, that God is for you. And 
if you're not careful, you can think that God sees you, and that's, that's a terrible thing. I remember I'd be sitting on the pew as the naughty kid, and my mom had that look. Moms, you know the look? The look that can lacerate your soul without saying a word. Some of you moms are like, I've never heard of that. You have one. You just don't know about it yet. Your kids could tell you. Your kids have a look that they fear. And it's that look like, I will end your existence if you do that one more time. My mom had that look. My dad had that look too. But if dad had the look, you knew you were in trouble because he was pretty even keel. But he had this thing like if his bottom teeth would come out, you knew that you knew to wear three pairs of undies when you got home. Come on, somebody. Like it was about to get lit in a good way. Um, I grew up in Montana. We definitely spanked the kids in Montana. I'm still in counseling for it. Um, but see, this is what I found. Within that look, there was this strong implication that I will end you. I will end your life. And I think if we're not careful, sometimes we can carry that into our walk with God. And we think that God is actually angry mom in church. Come on, somebody. Who, when he looks at us, he actually looks at us with the face of disappointment, with the face of discouragement. Because how many know the difference between discouragement in your own soul and encouragement when somebody looks at you, is what you believe their intentions are. I knew if I got to look for mom, her intention was like, kung fu was about to happen. But if you believe that about God, you're going to be in real trouble. Let me just get to the point. Many people don't believe God is actually for them. Many people believe God looks at them and sees them, but that actually is something that troubles you. Because you think that God looks at you with an angry disposition, that God is waiting to get you, waiting to see you make a mistake. When we see God, it, when, when we do this, we actually see God more as an adversary than an advocate. When we think God is looking at us, we actually picture mom's face on the church pew when we were little, and he's giving you that look like if you do that one more time, ta-ta, ta-ta is about to happen. But this is not our God. You need to know that. This is not our God. As a matter of fact, one of the most common Hebrew blessings that would be read over and given to people in the day, in the Old Testament days, actually talked about the face of God. And they would pray this over their children, and it actually was a greeting that they would give interchangeably. And if we could have the band come, I'll work on getting everybody out of here in just a couple of minutes and help me land this thing. But I want you to catch this because there was a common Hebrew blessing, and it was this. They would say that his face would smile on you. May his face smile on you. May his face shine on you. It actually comes directly out of Scripture. It's from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 24 through 26, and it says, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. May he smile on you. See, Jesus only reinforced this when he came to reveal the Father's nature. See, Jesus is not up in heaven angry and mean. Well, how do we know that? Because he wasn't down here angry and mean. 
He revealed the Father. He revealed God to us. Jesus is good theology. He is the picture of God. You can look at Jesus and see the heart of God. And Jesus was not down here angry and mean. Jesus was down here loving and kind, gracious and patient, powerful and hopeful. That's Jesus. And it's important for you to know that He not only sees you and He not only knows you, but God is for you. And when He looks at you, He smiles over your life. His heart is to bless you and give you strength and to give you peace. And when you picture God's face looking at you, I hope you see a Father that's for you, that's smiling over you, that wants to bless you and protect you and strengthen you because that is who our God is. Listen, David said it this way, that the goodness and the mercy of God would follow me all the days of my life, and then I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, some of us are living our life, we're looking over our shoulder a little bit, we're like, oh God, literally, oh God's back there, hope he's not watching me, hope he's not. And we think that the judgment and the wrath of God is following us all the days of our life, (laughs) and we're just one kind of one step away from the wrath hitting, you know, one step away from the look. But David said it's the goodness and the mercy of God that follows us all the days of our life. See, we're running from something that we should actually stop and let overtake us. If some of us would just understand who God is, we'd stop running from God and we would actually turn around and run to God that the mercy and the goodness of God would take over our lives. I want you to know you can run, but you can't hide. The goodness and the mercy of God will follow you all the days of your life. That is who He is. He's not out to get you. He's not out to tear you down. He's out to build you up. God didn't seek out David to tear him down. God seeked out David to lift him up. And that is the heart of God for you. God is after you. God does see you. He does know you. He is for you. And he wants to find you and overtake your life so he can lift you up into everything you were created to be. If you believe it, give God one more faith-filled amen this morning. That's our God. Would you... Do something with me this morning as we just take the next two minutes and open our heart to the love of God. Can we just close our eyes and and, and just sit in the presence of God for just a moment? And I just want to pray, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, you are here. You are the great revealer of Jesus. And Lord, if there is even one person here this morning that does not know you in a way that has changed their life, saved their life, forgiven their sin, changed the trajectory of their life, I've never known a person that has truly met you that hasn't changed, that their heart condition hasn't changed, that that what they carry hasn't changed. You change lives. That is what you do. You can't meet the God of heaven and walk away the same. And when we choose you, Lord, the scriptures say that you come and live in us, that you forgive our sin. So you're not good works away, you're just a decision away. We can choose you right now in this moment. Faith is a decision. Salvation really is a decision to receive the free gift of God for our life. 
And if you're here today and you have not received that, you have not made a decision to grab a hold of the one who wants to change everything in your life, I want you to know today is your day. God sees you. God knows you. He loves you. He's for you. And today he wants you to make the decision that will change everything. And that is to receive him, the God who loves you, that wants to forgive you and give you a new life, fill you with his spirit, his power, and change everything about who you are. And if you're here today, And you would say, I've never chosen Jesus. I've never made a faith decision to trust him, to make him my God. But maybe there's something going on in your heart today. And you'd say, today, pastor, that's today's the day. I know it. Something's happening in me. And I need to respond with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you just say, pastor, God's doing something in me. There's something happening in me. And I know who you're talking about today is me. I need to choose Jesus. I need to make a faith decision. Again, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you today. Today. I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand and I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you run to the front. I want to pray for you. On the count of three, if that's you, I need to choose Jesus. One, two, three. Raise them up. Raise them up high so I can see them. I see you and you and you and you and you and you. Is there anybody else? I see you, sir, in the back. Anybody else? The greatest decision we will ever make. I see you, ma'am, and you. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to choose the one that has already chosen you. Can we just pray a prayer? It doesn't have to be exactly like mine. It matters that it comes from your heart. The prayer doesn't save you. Jesus does. He forgives and he restores. But just pray a prayer that goes something like this. There's power in confessing with your mouth what you're believing in your heart. Just say, Jesus, right now. Jesus, right now. Come on, say it. Jesus, right now. In faith, I come to you just as I am. And I believe that you are God. And I believe that you were born of a virgin. And I believe you lived a sinless life. And I believe you died a sinner's death. And I believe you were buried in the tomb. And on the third day, you were raised from the dead. And I believe you're seated in heaven. And Jesus, I need you. Just say this. Jesus, forgive my sin. Come into my life. Make me new. Give me a new heart and a new start. Change the trajectory of my life. Give me a new heart that believes that you see me, that you know me, that you're for me. In Jesus' name, amen.